Corinthians um, chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do not do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt that there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for you eat. Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Do you not have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will reclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we are are judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, uh, when you come together, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. You may be seated. Good morning, and thank you, Marley. It's good to be back up here this morning after a week away at uh, annual conference. I'm very glad for Pastor David, Pastor Dave speaking last Sunday. Um, I know some of his comments on peanuts were intended for, for my benefit. Uh, I just the only thing I really retain from that is that there are over 300 legitimate uses for peanuts that do not involve peanut butter. Okay, so I still don't know why we're we're messing with that. All right. I also uh, realized during the week that I was perhaps a little bit more hungover from a week at uh, at annual conference than I realized. Uh, I was leaving to come over here one morning and I wanted to turn off the kitchen light. And without thinking, I grabbed the TV remote and named it at the air conditioner. <laughs> I realized pretty quickly my error, but then what the problem was I had to rethink what I was actually trying to do in the first place. So, you know, it, it, it couldn't be because I'm getting old. It had to be some sort of uh, other, other thing going on. All right, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just really seek your presence this morning. We know that you are here. We pray that we would come 
in a manner, in a spirit that would allow you to touch us, allow us to hear you speaking to us, and allow us to be blessed as we take this very important uh, service this morning, as we remember your body and your blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Seth, who was just about five years old, was sitting with his parents during communion. And he watched intently as mom received the elements and bowed her head to pray. A few seconds later, she she quickly sneaked a peek at him to see what he was up to. And he was now watching his daddy, who was also in prayer after taking communion. She was delighted that he was seeing the, the solemnity of the occasion. Good parental example, she thought. However, her son then leaned toward her and said, what's in that stuff? You eat it and you go right to sleep. In our text this morning, Paul addresses the observance of the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church. He began chapter 11 with the words, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But he switches his tone dramatically in these verses that Marley just read. Starting, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Paul is convinced that in their observance of the Lord's Supper, that far from building themselves up and in love for the Lord and, and, and far from building themselves up in relationship to one another, They are actually distancing themselves from God and creating greater divisions in the church, which throughout this letter has been a complaint, a concern of Paul's. He even suggests that in their failure to receive the Lord's Supper together in an appropriate and loving manner, it was resulting in sickness and even death among them. Let me share what I've picked up in terms of the way the Corinthians apparently observed the Lord's Supper. It seems somewhere between our love feast service and the bread and cup communion that we're observing this morning. Rather than in a church building, this apparently took place in a home, and most likely in the home of one of the more wealthy believers. The homeowner and their friends would sit and eat in the dining area, Due to a lack of space, those who who came later, those who were not as close to the host, would eat in an adjacent, perhaps less accommodating place. The supper would begin with the breaking of the bread, which Jesus said was his body. Then there would be a meal. It seems that the owner may have provided a bit of that meal, but basically people brought their own food. The taking of the cup, which Jesus said was his blood in the, the new covenant, came at the end of that meal. So we basically have the traditional elements of communion being separated by a carrion meal. However, Paul points out that the Corinthians didn't even have the consideration to wait till everyone got there. They started eating while others were still arriving. It sounds like they arranged themselves in in separate groups, in, in cliques, more than as a united body. They didn't share their food with each other. So some had plenty to eat, while others, particularly the poor, had little or perhaps nothing. 
Some were even drinking wine to excess and becoming drunk. They were showing less consideration for each other than hopefully we would share at even an ordinary potluck meal. More importantly, in doing so, they were showing great disrespect for both the physical body of Christ, which had been sacrificed for them, and for the spiritual body of Christ. Their brothers and sisters gathered around them. So what does this passage have to say to us this morning? How does it speak to us in terms of the attitude in which we come to the bread and cup this morning? What does it reveal to us about the heart of God? What do we need to do in order to prepare ourselves so that we may discern and receive in a worthy manner the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? First, Let's unburden ourselves of the belief that we are observing communion just as Jesus did. We can become so focused on the details of communion, the manner in which it's presented, that we lose sight of the meaning, the value, the motivation behind it. The bread which we break is not like the bread that Jesus shared with his disciples. It's unleavened, but that's probably the only similarity. The bread Jesus shared was Passover bread, and I'm pretty sure we're not using that recipe. The Heritage Fair Committee is inviting churches to submit their communion bread to be judged at Heritage Fair so that we can determine who has the best communion bread. I may be overthinking this, but that does not sound like a good idea to me. The cup that Jesus shared was not grape juice. It was wine. He didn't have little disposable plastic cups. They all drank from one cup. And it was one of several cups that were part of the Passover celebration. Even in our full love feast celebration, we deviate from the upper room scene. You know, the disciples did not wash one another's feet. Jesus washed all of their feet. And he instructed them that in the future, they should wash one another's feet. The meal that they ate is not like the meal that we eat. They ate the Passover meal as prescribed by God back in Exodus. They ate lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread and wine, not beef and unleavened bread and water. The reason why I want to unburden us of that belief is so that we might focus on the greater matters of our sharing in the bread and the cup. I don't know if any of you watched any of the annual conference worship or if you have read or heard anything positive or negative coming out of that. But at the final service on Saturday morning, we celebrated communion at the end of the morning worship service. Not the full uh, love feast and and feet washing as we, we did several years ago, just the bread and the cup. And before I get into the method of of presentation, I want to speak to the preparation and the spirit in which it was presented. Our speaker, a young lady named Audrey Svey, mentioned it briefly in her message, which was followed by an interlude featuring the song, It Is Well With My Soul. The worship leader then gave instructions and a welcome. He read some very appropriate scripture and led us into a time of reflection and confession. 
The confession that was printed in our bulletin, which is adapted from Menno Simons, read, Holy Jesus, blind I am, do thou enlighten me. Naked I am, clothe me. Wounded, heal me. Dead, give me life. I know of no light, no physician, no life, except thee. Amen. Following ample time for prayer, we were invited to take the communion. Now, the communion was offered in a manner called intinction. Are any of you familiar with the term intinction, what that means? Yeah, it, I, I wasn't until a couple of years ago. Well, the way it worked at a large gathering like annual conference is that groups of two people were stationed uh, around the worshiping body. One person had a loaf of bread. One person had a goblet full of grape juice. And you made your way to, to one station or another. The person with the bread tore off a piece of the loaf and handed it to you saying, the body of Christ broken for you. The person with the cup then extended it to you and said, the blood of Christ shed for you. Then you dunked a corner of the bread into the juice and ate the, bread, uh, the juice-soaked bread, stepping aside to make room for others. I have taken communion that way in, in community worship services and have never felt shortchanged or, or somehow in error. I had mentioned to Lori in advance of that service that I didn't necessarily feel I needed to stay for communion because I knew that we would be observing it here this morning. But as the groundwork was being laid, I found myself wanting to stay. I found myself drawn to that, and I came away blessed. I know that anytime something different happens at annual conference, some people will get upset. So when we got back, I did a little investigation into the thing known as intinction. Not surprisingly, there are numerous sources who do not like it. And they will tell you basically they do not like it because that's not how Jesus did it. That's why it's important to unburden ourselves of the belief that we do it exactly like Jesus did it. Well, one source claimed that this is a new thing, that it just started in the 20th century. References actually go back as far as 340 A.D. Wikipedia, which I believe has no particular axe to grind on the matter, simply says, Intinction is a, me a method of administering Holy Communion in many Western Christian denominations. And it goes on to specifically reference Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, Episcopal, Congregational, Presbyterian, Methodist, and Baptist churches. Obviously, the brethren are not in there. That's, we've, we've never done it that way. But the most important thing, the most important statement that I found in all of my research comes from the website gotquestions.org. I don't know if you've ever, any of you have ever looked up gotquestions.org, but it's a, it's a source that attempts to answer questions about our Christian faith. And this is what it said. While we should always be careful about modifying any biblical instruction, Scripture neither prohibits nor endorses intention. The issue of precisely how we are to serve the Lord's Supper is not one that should occupy much of our time. What is more important is that we apply the correct meaning and value to the supper itself, not the manner of presentation. 
And that's what I want to speak to this morning. The value, the meaning, the way in which we come to the bread and the cup. As I look at this passage, the first thing that strikes me is that careless, self-centered observance will always do more harm than good. Careless, self-centered observance will always do more harm than good. We must be totally sold out to God. Back in chapter 10, the part of our text that was not read previously, Paul spoke to hearts that were not sold out to Jesus. And there too, he was, he was talking about the Lord's Supper, and he was also warning them against idol worship. And he wrote, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I really hope I don't need to dissuade any of you from demon worship. But there is a message here for each one of us. We can't expect to receive the blessing that comes from taking communion if our hearts are divided, if our loyalties are centered as much on the world around us and the things of this world as they are on Christ and his kingdom. We can't serve the true God and false gods at the same time. We must love God first, foremost, above all. Anything else that we do, especially as we come to communion, is simply wasted movement. We must not live or participate in a way that promotes division. I have a pastor who was once asked to, to lead love feast and, and, and communion for, for another congregation. Before he agreed to do that, he went and spoke to the leadership of the church. And he refused to lead their love feast service until they would come together and address the divisions and the dissension in that church. If we've been fostering discord and promoting cliques within the body, if we know that there are walls between groups and individuals, we ought to work at removing those barriers before we even think of taking communion. The issues can't simply be ignored. They will interfere with our worship. They block the flow of God's blessing in our lives. We must not fail to show reverence for the body of our Lord. I find the message paraphrase insightful in terms of what it says about what it means to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. This is how it reads. Anyone who eats or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. As we think about what Jesus endured for us, how can we not respond in awe, in reverence, in heartfelt love for him? How, how can we fail to show respect for his physical body? And how can we fail to show respect for his spiritual body, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul attributes 
the dire consequences of sickness and even death to the failure of the Corinthians to show this reverent love. And there's no reason to think he was just using a metaphor. The heart of communion is Jesus' love for us. Jesus gave us these symbols so that we might do this in remembrance of Him. We are remembering the loving sacrifice of our Savior. Most scholars believe that this letter was actually written before any of the Gospels. So while I'm sure there were oral accounts of that night in the upper room that were passed down, this is most likely the first written account of Jesus' words regarding the bread and the cup. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What a blessing it must have been for the believers to be able to see and, and study those words, to include them in their observance, to have this concrete foundation on which to build their worship. Those words remain the foundation for our worship even today. We remember the perfect and precious blood of Jesus, which flowed from, from His hands, from His feet, from His head, from His back, from His brow. The blood that paid for our sins. And we remember His body that was broken for us. None of His bones were broken. But He was beaten and scourged almost beyond human recognition as a human being. We not only remember, we participate in the blood, in the body and the blood of Jesus. We participate in the body and the blood of Jesus. Again, returning back to chapter 10, Paul wrote, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a particip participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. What does it mean to participate in the body and the blood of Christ? It means we're making ourselves a part of it. We're including ourselves among those who, for whom Jesus died. Those who are saved only because of His sacrifice. We're among those who participate in that great benefit. As we think about participating in the body of Christ we would do well to consider our role among the believers. How are we participating in the family of God? I think participation should encourage us to love as He loved, to serve as He served, to be willing to sacrifice even as He was willing to sacrifice, to, to follow His example in, in every way that we possibly can. I think that's part of our communion observance as well. Paul also points out that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. There's an element of witness in that. Proclaiming to the world that Jesus died for our sins so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. Inviting them to share in that. There's also an element of encouragement within the body. Reminding ourselves and each other that we are saved by grace, not by works, but by the gracious sacrifice of our Savior. It brings us back to our roots. It brings us back to our hope and on our faith 
and our joy in Him. Lastly, I think Paul points us to some essential preparations. Some essential preparations for observing communion. There are some things that we really need to think about and care for if we are to honor His body and blood and receive His blessing. We ought to examine our hearts. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. If we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. We need to examine our motives for being here. We need to evaluate our love for Him. Are we devoted to Him alone? Or are the loyalties of our life really and truly divided into other areas? We need to consider our relationship with the body. Are there barriers between us and other believers? We need to consider our faith. Are we trusting in Jesus and His sacrifice for our salvation, or are we somehow still trying to earn it through our own performance? We need to examine our lives for sins that need to be addressed, repented of, and put behind us. And I think we ought to come with an openness to receive Jesus' love in a new and fresh way. An openness to receive Jesus' love in a new and fresh way. We've taken Paul's words here and and Jesus' words from the Gospels to mean that communion is something that we should do frequently. It's not something like baptism that we, we really only need to do once in our lives. We don't observe communion as often as some churches perhaps out of a concern that, that we might, might begin to do it simply by road. It might become something stale and taken for granted. But we need to be reminded regularly and tangibly of Jesus' love. We need to allow His sacrifice to touch our hearts over and over again. And we need to be renewed and refreshed in the remembering the remembering of all that He endured out of His great love for us. In a few minutes, we will receive communion. And don't worry, we will not do it by intention. We will do it by our regular, at least our regular post-COVID way. But it's not about the method of preparation. It's about the condition of our hearts. Let's prepare our hearts to receive God's blessing in this service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, speak to our hearts. Speak of your love. Speak of our need, even now, for your forgiveness. Open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.